It is so good to be with all of you tonight. I want to begin by reminding us all of a truth. We're going to finish up this final installment, this third study on God's grace and giving. But before we go there, I want you to grab your Bibles, take them out, and I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to remind us of a truth, because there are pastors that actually skip the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And the reason they do that is that it is a difficult book. It deals with subjects we don't like to talk about. Most people don't like to talk about death, dying. We as pastors don't like to talk about money. But as Pastor Alex said, there is a direct correlation. We're going to see that tonight in this final installment here in chapter 9. There is a direct correlation between your own personal generosity and God's generosity back to you. There is a direct correlation. It is a biblical truth. Before we turn our attention to chapter 9 here in 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to Timothy, the third chapter, the 16th and 17th verse. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So who's the author of all scripture? God. And is profitable, underline the word profitable, That means it is of a substantive benefit to the person who reads it, hears it, and does it. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every word of scripture is authored by God, intended for us to know that God wants us to know what he wants us to know. He's instructing us, he's correcting us, he's reproving us. That word reprove, we don't use it much in our English modern language anymore, but it's a great word. It it means to adjust as is necessary. Reproval means to take proof and adjust it. And sometimes there's areas of our lives that need that. And I believe the reason that 2 Corinthians speaks as it does on this subject that's difficult for us to talk about, especially when it involves the the better portion of three chapters is that there must be a problem with us in this area and there has always been a problem with us in this area so the apostle Paul as he writes because God instructed him all things wants to teach us something and tonight I think chapter 9 kind of condenses these thoughts that we've had I personally am glad that we had a couple of camps. I think you're glad that I didn't get to do all three of these in a row. But I believe tonight as we wrap this up, you're going to see why God believes this is so important and that he would author so much scripture to back it up. 
And so let's pray, and we'll pick up in verse 1 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll take the entire chapter tonight uh, so we can put this subject uh, in, in our hearts and minds and therefore behind us as far as this amazing book is concerned. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, our final installment on your principles of grace in giving. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, I know there are some of us that have this and and it is without contest the way we live our lives. And there are some of us tonight that are still struggling with this area of our faithfulness. Lord, we really would have to say that maybe some of us tonight don't trust you. And we ask that you would adjust and correct and instruct us that these words were authored uh, humanly by the Apostle Paul, but they came from you. And so help us to understand them and obey them. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, And now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Great word. You probably don't use that much. It simply means unnecessarily, it means not needed, it can mean redundant. In other words, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I don't really need to write to you about this, but I'm going to commend you and I'm going to drive the point home. For I know your willingness about which I boast to the Macedonians, that Acacia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some of the Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, we, and not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. In other words, he's basically bragging on the Macedonian church. He's saying these guys were so willing to give of themselves that he could actually brag about their generosity. And therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. And this is where the meat of the matter begins to shine for us. But this I say, and here's the truth, and I just simply would ask you to ponder in your heart, consider, underline, and highlight this passage because this is a spiritual truth for us to remember. For this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly nor of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver and we'll pick up the remainder here in just a little bit while we're on this subject I want to give you a little bit of insight into the finances here at Calvary Chapel of South Bay and this is unusual for a pastor to do but I think it's important that you as the body of Christ understand the care the concern the diligence the preparation that goes into making sure that any of the funds that come into this church 
are not only not squandered or wasted, but they are overseen in a way that there are multiple checks and balances, that no one has singular control over them. And so I want to share just a few things with you. Every single expense in this church is governed and overseen by a board of directors, seven men. Uh, All of us, all of them, if you will, have business experience. Some of us have legal experience. We have experience in accounting, management, and almost all of us have either been business owners and or run large corporations so that we understand the ramifications of individual financial decisions. But the board of trustees is there as a guide to take those resources and look at them as a collective whole with one thing in mind. And that is how do we please the Lord Jesus Christ with that which he's entrusted to us because it does not belong to us. The funds of this church in no way, shape, or form are attached to anything that is owned by Jeff and Connie Gill. We do not have personal access to the church bank accounts or to the church funds. My salary is established by the board of directors. I have no control over it. I cannot increase it. I could decrease it if I want to by simply giving it away, um, which is, of course, my priority as it is yours because it belongs to God. But there's no personal control by any single person. Every single thing that we have that is governed in a financial way is governed at least doubly blind. In other words, there are more than one person that looks at every transaction. So whether that's a purchase order, which we have, or a requisition, which we have, or an expenditure, which we're going to pay, or a check request, which is written out, or a request for goods or services or anything, if it is a service we're looking to get, We, like good business people everywhere, get at least three bids. When we get those three bids, those three bids are compared not just for price, but for the quality of those things which we are going to purchase, for their longevity, and for their value relative to other things just like it. In other words, we look at it as if we were attempting to make money for the Lord. Because the more money we have the more we can give away. Amen? And so when it comes to our accounting department, we have a full-time chief financial officer. We have a full-time accounting firm that watches over our finances. We have a staff CPA. We have an accounting department, and we employ the general principles of accounting. We use every single thing. If someone were to come in and audit our books, which we do voluntarily every single year with a national accounting firm so that anyone coming in can look at our books and go, we know where every cent went. If something is purchased, it requires a receipt. If something's going to be purchased for the church, it is put in the church's name. It does not get put in the name of persons. It belongs to God. It remains part of a nonprofit corporation. And if anything were to happen to all of us, it would literally have to 100% be given away to another nonprofit corporation. Nobody, save Jesus, owns a thing in this church. Amen? And I share that with you to give you some sense of. We believe 
these principles are for us to do, not just to know about. That the things that we're reading here, and as we would apply them, whether it's in our personal life or whether it's in our corporate governance of the things that God has given to us, we will one day, I will one day, stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm going to have to give an account. Jeff, I entrusted this to you. What did you do with it? And that, frankly, scares me to death. And so we take it seriously. So for you who might care, and the reason I'm doing this is because this will go on the Internet. People will be able to watch it, and they'll be going, oh, oh, sure. So if you check it out, if you decide you want to see the church's finances... All you have to do is make an appointment. We'll send a board member with you, and you can go in, and you can see our income and expense statements, our balance sheets, whatever you want to see as a member of this church. It is completely transparent, and it is totally open. So at any time, any member of a person who, any member of this church, which means you have a vested interest, which means you have been giving faithfully to this ministry, you were entitled by state law to be able to see the finances of the church. And any church that tells you that you can't see the finances, don't go there. So what you want to know, you're welcome to know. Now you know the big stuff. Let's turn our attention to this passage. How did Paul encourage the church in this grace giving? Look, let's be honest. This passage, when you look at it, you can go, not again. But I honestly believe that when we do things God's way, we see the results that God has promised. What's God promised in this passage? Anybody see a couple of things? That if we ourselves are generous, how will God respond to us? And generosity. If we give without compulsion, how does God give to us? Without compulsion. If we ourselves are engaged in the things that matter to God... God is engaged in the things that matter to us. There is a direct correlation when Jesus said, wherever a man lays up his own treasure, there his heart will also be. He meant it. Whatever you pour your treasure into is exactly what you worship. Do you understand what I just said? There is a direct correlation between how you invest in the ministry and how much you actually believe in the ministry that God is doing. Because the ministry is not me. The ministry is not Calvary Chapel. The ministry is actually us doing the work of the Lord. Amen? It's not just one person. It's all of us together. And so Paul gives us a little insight into this, the Lord writing through him. And basically he says, I'm proud of you. I I boast of you. And so he uses some terms here that I think we can see and understand. He says, this is missionary offering you're about to give is a bountiful gift. That simply means it was huge relative to those who gave it. It was abounding. It was larger than one would expect. You know, sometimes I I think that we think that if we just do something, God will do the rest. And while sometimes God does work that way because he cares so much about the need, he finds another way to do it, what he really wants to do is use us. He wants us to experience what it's like to live bountiful lives. 
And so he gives us the opportunity to join him in that bounty. That bountiful gift, also notice this, was freely given. No one was coerced or compulsed or, you know, forced into it. Nobody sat there. And it, it literally shocks me, some of the stories that people will bring to me, that they've been to other churches where there's not the first offering, there's not the second offering, there's the third offering, and there's a glass box set on the platform. And basically the pastor rails on the church for not giving enough, and we're just going to take another one until you give some more. That is absolutely not of God. My job is not to compel you to do anything. My job is to teach you the truth and let the Holy Spirit work in your life. So once we get done with this study, it's going to be a long time before you hear about anything about money. Because I'm sick of doing it myself. But I know God told me to do it because it says so in his word. Amen? So these blessings constitute our response. Did you hear what I said? These blessings that they're sending constitute our response to the grace of God in our own lives. Anybody in here been blessed by the grace of God in your life? That should be where you start with your giving. My giving is an extension of the blessings that I've received by the grace of God. That's where I start. And when I start there, I'm really generous. But when I start like a miser, I start like Ebenezer Scrooge, I start with, well, you know, I don't quite have enough myself. If I start in a place that does not acknowledge the grace of God and what it's done in my life, then I will not ever get to where I'm supposed to be. I start with the grace of God in my own life. That is the stimulus behind what I do for the Lord in everything, especially this area. The kind of responses we see here bring joy to every pastor's heart. They should bring joy to your heart. You know, there is a giddiness to being able to provide for other people's needs. There is a joy to be able to just simply go and do what God's called us to do. But that flows out of generosity just like this Macedonian church had. It does not come from we have to do a giving campaign every two or three weeks to try and drum up enough support to maybe miserly kind of eke out a few shekels to give to someone. It comes from having abundance because the body of Christ has responded to what the Lord has spoken into their life. Have I not, Jeff Gill, been gracious to you and given you everything? Ought not you be gracious to everyone else and give? And see, when I see it that way, then it's no longer an obligation, it's a joy. It's like, Lord, I want to try and outgive you. I'm going to do something here that sounds crazy. You've given me everything. I want to see. I want to see what it looks like if I take the joy that you've given me and I translate it into my grace giving. I say, Lord, here it is. You use it for what you want. You're going to find yourself doing crazy things. You're going to give away cars. You're going to give away boats. I have watched people, check this, give away houses. Give them away. Literally sign the title over. I've watched people give things that you would say, sorry, you gave what? Why? 
because they believe that God's grace has been so massive in their own life, how could they not shed that grace abroad in other people's lives through this area which is hard? You should see the looks on some of our missionaries' faces when they come back from the mission field and they have no idea because they are out of the country. They're not paying into Social Security. They have no insurance. There's nothing going on in their lives to take care of. And they come back and you all pay for their dental bills, which they need desperately. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Amen? We can't do that unless we are all listening to the Lord. We can't. And churches don't if they're not listening to the Lord. We can't build facilities all over the world and just give them away. We have two facilities now. Our name is not on the title anywhere. We don't care because God owns it. Amen? It doesn't matter to us whose name's on it. It matters that the word of the Lord is going forth. It matters that people's lives are being transformed. It matters that kids are coming off the street. It matters that we do what God wants. It does not matter whose name is on it. Now, when we're here in the United States, because we live in the most litigious place in the world, California has more attorneys per capita than any other place in the world. So we do everything we're supposed to do to protect everything that we have because we know that the devil would like to get a hold of it. But that doesn't keep us from being generous. Now as you look at these principles and you put them into practice, it boils down to this. It really is going to be completely about your attitude. He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Now, sparingly, interestingly enough, is a relational word, and it means in light of what should be given. In other words, here's generosity is held up, and sparingly is less than generous. Does that make sense? In other words, we're supposed to give generously, and sparingly is less than that. So it's directly proportional to what God's entrusted to you. It's not how much I could give or anybody else could give. It is generous in comparison to you. For some of you, generous would be a huge amount of money. And for some of you, a very small amount of money to some of us would be very generous if it came from you. Jesus tells us this principle when he talks about the widow's might, does he not? Those two copper coins were more than all of the trumpeted funds that were given by the Pharisees. You get the principle. He says, look, for her, those two copper coins, those two widow's mites were far more valuable than everything else in the, in the offering because they were hyperabundant from that woman. It was everything she had. So make sure you get the principle right here. It's not that it needs to be a big number. It needs to be a generous number coming from you. And you know who's going to know that? Exactly two people, you and God. That's it. And it's only between the two of you. It's none of my business. It's not the church's business. It's between you and the Lord. And conversely, because this is relational, the opposite is being stingy, miserly, or a pittance. 
That's what the opposite of bountiful is. So basically the law is this. If you want God's generosity, be generous. If you want to see exactly how stingy God can be, then be stingy to God. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of that is a little bit frightening. Because I'm pretty sure if he owns the sheep and cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and silver in every mine, and the earth and the fullness of it actually belongs to him, and he decides to cut off the flow of those things to teach me a lesson, I'm pretty sure pennies are going to get tight. Lincoln's eyes are bleeding. You know what I'm saying? He's on the penny, by the way. Squeeze him hard enough. Some of you are looking like, what? That's an old thing. That's for some of us old people. And so God has been generous in grace. And so be cheerful because God loves a cheerful giver. Don't, I, I, I've, I've talked to people, and, and I want to keep this as benign as I possibly can, but you listen to them about their financial situation, and it's like, you know, you, you can almost see them just like, screeching out in pain when the tithe bag comes by. It's like, ah! That's not how God's given to us. And it shouldn't be how we give to him. Unless you want what that will get. And that's God going, ah! Back to you. I've had people say, oh, man, I gave to the Lord, and then I couldn't go to the movies, and I couldn't go out on this date, and I couldn't do this, and I couldn't do that. And I will say things like, can you imagine if he treats you that way when you give a little bit? Can you imagine what happens if you don't give at all? You're not even going to have a date to go on. I got a little secret for you. If you're unhappy about the amount of money you have to give because you need to be generous, then just ask God to take away your money. You see, none of us ever pray that way, do we? We're not going, Lord, reduce my income so I can tithe less. No. We're all going, Lord, I'd like to be, I want to be blessed so I can give more. So the only path to that is saying, Lord, increase the storehouse that we personally have stewardship over so they can give more. That is the only way to see that happen. It's not by being stingy, it's by outgiving God or at least attempting to. It is in your attitude. And notice what it says, God loves a hilarious giver. The, the word there is hilarious, which we get our English word hilarious from it. And it means somebody who giggles. Now, I used to struggle with trying to understand this. And then it came upon me one day, I was sitting there, do you know how you feel when you're kind of sitting in, in the doorway, maybe on Christmas or for a birthday, and you have the most awesome present underneath the tree, or you know, you've got a birthday present there, and you're sitting back behind the door, and your child comes in, and they're getting ready to open, and you're just like, yes, this is gonna be awesome! That kind of hilarious. It's like you can't wait to see the result of what you have given. Do you understand it now? In other words, you you can't wait to see what's going to happen. 
You're so excited about what you have given that you cannot wait and it makes you happy to think of that coming to fruition. That's what God loves. God loves hilarity. He he loves for us to look at these things and go, that is gonna be so awesome. We get the opportunity to, to call people up and you know they'll send us uh, our, the orphanage that we support in the Philippines. There's a young girl that last year, she had a cleft palate and she didn't have the money for a surgery and so we sent the money so that she could have her cleft palate fixed and then we sent the money so she could have the follow-up facial surgery to make her you know, look much more beautiful and, and you should see her smile. It's hilarious. Now, we'll probably never actually meet her. But those kind of things make the heart of God smile. And God loves it when we give in such a way that someone else feels that exhilaration from your hilarity. Do you understand? That's what we're engaging in. Now, I can't tell you what that is for you. For me and my house, it's more, not less. Sometimes we we have conversations like, well, let's just give it away. Let's see what God does with it. And as Pastor Alex and I didn't ask him to say it, he had no idea. That's our testimony too. Connie and I can tell you, we haven't been able to outgive God. And there have been times when that giving has been hard, but it's always been blessed. God has been faithful 100% of the time. He has never blessed my scroogeiness. That's a new word I just made up this afternoon. (laughs) I like it, don't you? Scrooginess. He just wants us to have a heart that's like his heart and say, man, if I can help do that, I want to help do that. Verse 8, God's promises to us as grace givers. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Anybody like that promise? And you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Anybody want that in your life? I do. I want it in our church's life. Now, we've had some crazy conversations at the board. What if God gave us $100 million? Can you imagine what you could do with $100 million in third world countries? And that's not much. Bill Gates makes about $100 million a day in interest. So in that sense, it's not much. But it's so much that we could do amazing things. I want to abound. God is able to make us do that, that we might have abundance. I can't wait for the day when we take this very old mortgage that we have here at this church, it's going on 15 years old, which is been eradicated by 50% in the last four years, when we make that last payment, guess what? 
Our, our monthly expenditures go down by a whole bunch. You know what we're going to do? We're going to give more. We're just going to give it away. We're going to figure out somebody to bless someplace. Oh, we may do some other things here at the church. But we've already got what we need. So the Lord's at work getting ready and preparing us to be able to give abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, where does the seed to the sower come from? It comes from God. It does not come from Burpee or, you know, Joe's Seed Company. You know, nobody makes seed. God makes seed. We just collect it, right? Who supplies it? God does. It's where it comes from. It doesn't come from a store. It doesn't come from your money. God makes seed for the sower and bread for food is what happens to the, in case you didn't know this, you need to have wheat to make flour. The wheat comes from seed. The seed then turns into wheat. The wheat is then ground into flour and from there you get bread. Guess where it all comes from? God. It all comes from God. You see, we think it comes from Vaughn's. Yeah, we think it comes from Sam's Club. I like the, the twin lobes at Sam's Club. They're cheaper. I'm like super cheap. Ask Connie. I'm that guy. You, you, I don't know that I need Nikes. You know the, the Kirkland brand. You know what I'm saying. I'm like super cheap. I just am. I have a dear friend that is is able to buy whatever jeans he wants and and he he buys wranglers at walmart i said why do you buy those because they're cheap i said yeah but they're all so ugly he says yeah but god isn't going to ask me whether they were good looking or not he's going to ask me if they were cheap His righteousness endures forever. And now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of righteousness. While you were enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through God to us. In other words, you're the source of thanksgiving in other people's lives. Do you ever think of yourself that way? There's some pretty crazy principles here. That God actually uses the body of Christ to bless other people. And you can't do that unless you want to get engaged in blessing other people. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. You know, when our missionaries come, we just had Pastor Alex and his wife Carolina come from Cartagena. You know, we didn't ask them, well, do you have enough money to come to Southern California? No, we just simply paid for their airfare and their hotel and their rental car and their expenses while they were here. We just gave them a Thanksgiving blessing. It's like, would you just come? We want to refresh you. We want you to know that God loves you. And I'm giving you insight into these things so that you understand these principles work. 
We, we haven't been called to, well, can you fill out an application? Now, now we do check with things that are repetitive because we have people that try and game the system. And so we're, we're being diligent with those kind of things. But when we have a, a, a person who's ministering the gospel in some foreign land, we go, well, you know, you chose that, brother. The Lord must want you to suffer. That's why you're in Cartagena with orphans. Now we can be a source of blessing for people. We can be the refreshment to them. When we get this right, we have plenty of seed to sow to somebody else. We just say, look, we want to bless you. Just come. While though through the proof of his, this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. You see, ultimately, this stuff bears on the gospel. That's why James said, when you see your brother who has need, how can you harden your heart towards them and say that the love of God dwells in you? In other words, you got to feed them in order to be able to feed them sometimes. It's a reason that we, we do a vast majority of the ministry locally, the backyard missions things, the, the homeless ministry, all of it that we engage in on a regular basis is ultimately to preach the gospel to people. If we can feed their stomachs, we can often feed their souls as well. Maybe it's just going to be because they got a, a shampoo. Maybe they're going to get a manicure. It, it might possibly be just a kindness done to someone who's desperately in need that opens the door to the gospel. You mean God cares about me enough to give me a manicure? Yes, he does. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, manicure is not winning anybody to Christ. Oh, oh, I beg to differ with you. I beg to differ with you. I've seen it happen. We've, we've had testimony in this church of people that have come to faith in Christ because their hair was washed and a meal was given and a manicure was done. But that comes from generosity of our time and our talent and our treasure. We have to just give it away. And for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Who provides everything we have? God. How does he provide? It tells you right here. Abundantly. Now I recognize in this room there is undoubtedly a vast difference between some of our financial situations and others' financial situations. But relative to the world that we live in, there's not a person in this room who's not living in the most massively abundant environment that exists on planet Earth. Did you know that? That in the United States of America, our dogs have a more protein-rich environment than three-quarters of the world's population. Did you know that? Our dogs eat better than three-quarters of the population of the entire world. So when someone comes here, well, you know. Now I recognize that it's true. There is poverty. We have poverty. Some of it's generational. Some of the poverty is racial. 
And I pray daily that God would break that bondage. But the fact of the matter is, we have been generously blessed by a very good God. And we enjoy those blessings as a nation, not just as individuals, but as a nation. Those blessings are fought for every single day. And you say, well, we're not really at war right now. Really? There's probably a couple of streets that I can take you to here, very close. But it might as well be open warfare. People are dying every day. You see, but if we're generous, we have a chance to affect change. If we're stingy, there's not much we're going to be able to do. We're not going to have the resources necessary to show people how good God is. And I don't know about you, but I want to hilariously do that. I want people to go, you guys are so weird. You keep coming back here. You're so twisted. What makes you do these? Well, because God loves you and so do we. And here's how we're going to show you how much God loves you. You can't, you, that's why James says you cannot say to them, be warm and be filled. You got to say, look, we're here to feed you and feed you. Every single thing that we do is supposed to glorify God. Did you know that? Everything. Not just our churchy things. Everything. Including how we handle our finances. So when Jesus there in Matthew 5 said, and so let your light shine before men, what did he say? So that they might see your wonderful theology so that you might see your magnificent church building so that you might see your brand new car no he said so that they might see your good works and then glorify our father who is in heaven amen why do you suppose he said that because there is a direct correlation between doing and letting somebody see how good God is. Because people are going to believe what you do over what you say. That's just the truth, family. People are going to believe what you do over what you say. You can tell somebody, well, I care about the poor. But if you never minister to the poor, I have some people in my own personal life that they sit around and argue about what is not being done for the poor endlessly but you know what they don't do they never do anything for the poor they don't go do anything about it they just complain that other people should do something about it and that does not tell anybody about the love of god that's the reason jesus washed feet that's the reason he girded himself with a towel. He said, let me tell you how much I love you. That's the reason he went to the cross. He did what he said he believed. And so it is with our lives financially. We have to do what we say we believe. And if I believe by grace, I have been blessed with every good and perfect gift and it flows down from my Father of lights who is in heaven then I, it is incumbent upon me to be a giver that understands that. 
these Jewish believers that were going to receive these gifts were probably stunned because these are Gentiles. But in Christ, there's neither Jew, there's no Gentile, amen? That's why it says, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to our God for his indescribable gift. It doesn't say thanks be to the Macedonians for their indescribable gift. It says thanks be to God. That God used those Macedonian believers to, who were Gentiles, Greeks to be very specific, who at one point in time were at odds and absolute enemies of the Jewish people. Then you can see how this plays out in our time. Can you imagine if we started reaching across socioeconomic lines with just the goodness of God? Can you imagine if we reached across racial lines with simply the goodness of God? Can you imagine what would happen in our country if people started actually caring about one another to the extent they were willing to give themselves away to prove it. You see, there is a direct correlation between what you do and what you say you believe. People believe it when you do it. When you show up to paint a widow's home, she believes it. When you show up to clean up those, those yards that have been fined by the city because they're overgrown and that elderly person can't do it, they believe it. When you show up with hot meals to someone who doesn't have a, a place to even cook, lives underneath a couple of pallets with a tarp over the top of them, they believe it. They believe in the love of God at that point in time. That takes us giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. This gift that's given is extravagant, it's elegant, it's given in such a way that the church rejoices. I recall a story of a wealthy Christian man and every single day he would pray at the dinner table, God, bless the poor. God, take care of the widows. Lord, clothe the orphans. And after a decade or so hearing that, his now teenage son, after prayer at one meal, looked his dad in the eye and he said, Dad, if I had your checkbook, I could answer your prayer for you. Ouch, huh? Ouch, huh? When I was in Yugoslavia in 1989, we were behind the Iron Curtain at the time, a little town called Subotica, and on the border of Hungary and Yugoslavia. And I was sitting there with a, a couple that we had met by a divine appointment. 
and I was chatting with this man and he actually said, you know, we've been praying for you for years. And, and I looked at him with, a, I'm sure, a very dumbfounded look on my face. You've been praying for us in America for years? He says, yes. He says, in some ways, you have a much more difficult time being a Christian than we do here in the Soviet Union. He says, because you have everything. And so you think you need nothing. Here we have nothing and we wait for God to send us anything. Things like that rip your heart apart. You know, it kind of causes you to look at it from a very different perspective. You know what, he was right. Tibor was right. You know, sometimes we, we look at things from the wrong perspective. And God gives us passages like this to help us change our perspective a little bit. And when I practice grace giving, my money, your money, will never be a substitute for my service and it will never be a substitute for my concern because my time, my talents, the things I can do, and my treasure are all linked together. They're actually part of me, who I am in Christ. And because God has given me so richly all these things, what it makes me want to do is say, God, why did you give me these things? You know what the crazy thing is? He's going to tell you, well, I want to bless you, but I also want to bless others. I want other people to know how good, you already know how good I am. It makes me cheerful. You see, because you can't separate the gift and the giver of the gift that way. Those two things are linked together, at least in my own heart and mind. I know in my family's heart and mind. They're very linked together. I can't look at a thing that I have stewardship over and not say, thank you, Jesus. I've been driving one of the church vans around since we got back from camp because we loaned out my truck to another church that was up there still in Mammoth, and we figured rather than drive our truck all the way back and then need to take it, we just left it up there. Well, driving around a van for a week, you start to get really thankful for a Toyota Tundra. <laughs> you realize how good God's been to you. And so he let me go without for a week. He said, Jeff, you could be riding in a van. No, God. But he's been so good. I'm not walking. I have shoes. You know, when you've traveled around and you've, I, I've wandered through villages to where I see kids wearing mismatched shoes. I see kids wearing one shoe and not two. I see kids with no shoes. I've seen two-year-olds wander through the streets of Tierra Bamba without an adult, a two-year-old. It's an island. All of a sudden, you start going, Lord, what are you asking us to do? It's not to turn, you didn't send me here to turn the blind eye to these things. You sent me here because they have a need and we can meet it. They can know how good you are. 
And if our, our church and other ministries around the world would get back to this grace giving that we've seen in these three studies, there wouldn't be a need for high pressure sales tactics on the body of Christ. I don't believe there's a need anyway, but some implement those things. There wouldn't be appeals. That's why you'll never hear from this pulpit, well, we're going to do this and we need your money. It's not ever going to happen. There aren't going to be gimmicks. There's not going to be a thermometer in the lobby, okay? Just telling you, it ain't happening. Because I believe, as Pastor Chuck, one of the great Pastor Chuckisms, where God guides, God provides. The question is, when we hear the voice of provision from the Lord, are we going to be a part of what he's asking us to do? Or are we going to wait for somebody else to be blessed? Because he's going to get it done. Because if he's guiding, he's going to provide. He wants to use us. He wants to use you. I believe there will be plenty of money. We'd be able to do absolutely everything that God's called us to do. And I think most importantly, the unsaved people of this world would see exactly how good and gracious our God is if we would employ grace in giving. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, I thank you. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to praise you and exalt your name for those that serve on the board here at this church and for those that over many decades have been faithful. Oh, Lord, just that your faithfulness is never-ending. You have been so gracious to us. We thank you for the funds that have been given even tonight, Lord, your, your goodness being poured out. Lord, those tithe bags are filled with, with you. Those are your resources. Thank you for graciously entrusting us so much. And we pray that, Lord, you'd continue to lead, guide, and direct in this area of ministry, of life, and of living. Lord, help us to be grace givers, filled up to overflowing, abounding with goodness. God, you know what you want to accomplish and we simply want to join you where you're already at work Lord we believe what Watchman Nee said that our prayers are merely the tracks pointing the way to where the train is going that you have put in motion and so Lord we're just going to pray to that end God cause us to be able to do great things we, we pray for tens and hundreds of millions of dollars Lord we're not kidding we're not joking we, we believe uh, that you could give us such great abundance that we could build hospitals and orphanages and churches all over this world. And so we just submit to your plans, Lord, and ask you to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. And so, Lord, we pray big and we give with hilarity. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for blessing us. And, Lord, we want to sow, Lord, very bountifully because we want to reap bountifully. Lord, thank you for accepting us as we are. Change what needs to be changed and use everything in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.